Always good to have back with us MLB.com's Allison Footer. And Allison, I got to start by asking, you know, where in the world is Allison today? Because we know at this point in the year, you could be anywhere from spring training in Florida or Arizona or out in L.A. covering the World Baseball Classic. Uh, so where are you this time? <laughs> I'm in Houston. Right now I'm in Houston. Just uh, just temporarily, I was in San Antonio over the weekend covering uh, the annual exhibition series with the Rangers and uh, a team of their choice, which was the Indians at the Alamo Dome. And now I'm back from that and heading back to Florida soon. Well, let me ask you about the World Baseball Classic first, because I, I know you got a chance to call a game there as well. And do a little radio for that. What did you, what do you make of the WBC and, and have you grown to be a fan of this uh, whole event? Yeah. I mean, I think I've always liked it. Um, it was kind of rough just early on in the first, I think the, really just the first one in 2006, just because a lot of us were covering like both like our teams and the WBC. And so it made for a kind of a hectic time, but I mean, the experience has always been good. And I think the interest has grown over time. And there seems to be a lot of interest in it this year. I think the USA team advancing helps, but also the fact that there's a lot of young players, you know, a lot of young major league players that are playing for their countries. And so they're kind of all over the place. And so that's made it a little bit more interesting. And it's it's always fun to cover. It, it's got a lot of excitement and kind of anticipation. Yet at the same time, it's, you know, when a team loses, it's not like as devastating as when they lose like a playoff series in October or World Series. And so it's just a fun time for everybody. Hey, Allison, how can you ensure the future success of the World Baseball Classic? Because the commissioner said as long as he's the commissioner and you play the World Baseball Classic, again, some U.S. stars like Mike Trout and Clayton Kershaw and even Bryce Harper, they didn't decide to participate. In the U.S., it's always competing against March Madness, although it's doing very well internationally. Kind of what do you think needs to be done to ensure that this World Baseball Classic gets bigger and bigger and more popular with each successive tourney? Well, I mean, I think they need to accept the tournament for what it is and when it's played and um, the fact that there's going to be a more international interest in it than there is going to be in the United States. That's just kind of how it is. But they need they need to have more participation from the um, American Major League players. I think that would probably help the situation a lot. I mean, if you look at the USA team, if it had Trout and Harper and uh, Mookie Betts and Chris Bryant and Anthony Rizzo, I mean, there's you know a lot of people that are missing from this tournament. And so I think that if you get the biggest stars from every country participating, then it becomes something of grander interest. But, you know, I, I think that there's a ton of interest in, in the Dominican Republic and in, in Venezuela, Puerto Rico, Japan. And that's always going to continue and um I, you know, I can't for the life of me understand I, I, I get it from a pitcher's perspective I can kind of understand like where Clayton Kershaw would be coming from and really not wanting to disrupt the spring routine I cannot for the life of me understand why a position player would not want to participate speaking as somebody who has covered 20 spring trainings it is boring and it's, it gets it gets so boring for the players that if I'm Bryce Harper and I have an opportunity for just, it's just like two and a half weeks, maybe three at the most to leave and go and, and still play at a competitive level and play and, and do something different during spring training. I'm all over that. You know, after the first like two weeks of, of being at your spring training camp, you're ready to lose your mind. And <laughs> I would defy anybody to, to say something different. It's not like it's stressful. It's not like, you know, they're being overworked, but it's just, it just gets under your skin for everybody. And so I don't get it. I don't understand why 
I mean, I, I don't know. Arizona spring training is a lot more enjoyable. It's a lot more convenient. Um, you can get places faster. There's not a lot of travel involved. But if I'm in Florida, <laughs> I mean, there's like, there's no way that I'm not participating in this thing just to do something different. So uh, I don't know. I'd love to ask those guys why they don't want to play. You lead me into the next thing I was going to ask you about is, you know, the Team USA and playing for Team USA, you look at NBA players and they've had a lot of success coming off of those summers where they've done that. Uh, some of them have made some MVP runs and, and, and all-star runs that we hadn't seen before. Do, do you think this really helps the, the players, these uh, Major League Baseball players, during this season playing in something this competitive and, and with this much talent? No, I don't think it's going to – I don't have, think it has any effect on – their major league seasons so much. It's just a more enjoyable way to get ready for a season, in my opinion. You know, I mean, there's it's a fine line, though, because when you start spring training, I mean, your manager has it mapped out. Like, the veteran guys need to get, like, 60 plate appearances, you know, during the exhibition season. It's some, some somehow, somewhere. He plans out the road trips that you're going to take. You know, the home games are going to play most of them. You know, there is a method to everything that you do see in spring training. And some guys just like to be regimented like that. I mean, you take a player like Alex Bregman, who was just dying to be on Team USA, which is awesome, and he was on the team. He's also expected to start every day at third base. This will be his first major league season. He barely played in the Miami round of the WBC, and that's totally understandable because it's a 25, 27-man roster, whatever it is, and that means that there's a lot of guys that aren't going to get regular playing time. So in that respect, you know, I was like, okay, Jim Leland, uh, time to put Bregman in, and then he started him the next game. I mean, he wasn't saying that because I said that to him because I didn't say that directly to him, but I was thinking it in my mind. And so, you know, in that respect, I'm like, is Alex Bregman still preparing, getting proper preparation for his season. Um, I don't think it's going to affect him one way or another, but there are at-bats that need to be had during spring training. And so I don't think that it's, you know, like just playing at like an ultra competitive level is going to make a difference in Manny Machado's life, but certainly it could, it could maybe be a little detrimental just maybe early in the season if somebody's not getting his full slate of at-bats, which I still don't think is that big of a problem. I'm guessing this was more fun for you than, than covering spring training, especially as spring training from an Astros perspective. This is the first time in a long time where we're not looking at position battles. We kind of know what's going to happen coming into the season. And of course, obviously the Astros has been extra boring with them, be, most of them being at the World Baseball Classic, the guys that we're going to see on opening day. Yeah, I mean, I haven't really been at Astros camp very much. I just this early on in the spring when I was kind of making my way around the, that area of Florida. But yeah, I mean, I, I barely really pay attention to the scores during, especially during this time, because it's like there's so, so many guys are playing in the WBC that they're really short on, you know, major league players, <clears throat> guys that are expected to actually be on this team come April 2nd, April 3rd, whatever opening day is. And so it's kind of silly. I mean, you see like, oh, the, the game totally got away from the Astros yesterday. They were up four to nothing. And then they lost 12 to four, 12 to six, whatever it was. I haven't even heard of these pitchers. I've not heard of these guys that have been coming into the game to pitch. Um, so, yeah, in that respect, it's, you know, there's not a lot of open jobs. And, I mean, here and there, but you pretty much know. Uh, I mean, the biggest questions for the Astros are not so much coming out of spring, but it's just can that rotation hold up through the season? And so that's not really a spring training question as much as it is just, you know, watching them throughout the year. Yes, seeing that rotation, that's kind of what the big question mark is for the Astros. Like you mentioned, uh, can um, McCullers and Keuchel early signs are, are, are good at least out of the spring there. Then Charlie Morton, 
Uh, it looks like maybe even Joe Musgrove will, will crack the rotation. But, I mean, everybody with the Astros or everybody following the Astros is pretty much expecting at some point in the season they're going to make a trade, and especially if they're in contention and acquire another starter. Yeah, it depends on, you know, where they are at uh, the trade deadline. Everyone assumes that they'll be right in there in the thick of it. They could be even ahead in the division. It's a foregone, foregone conclusion, I think. People are just assuming that they're going to get Quintana from the White Sox with the deadline. There's going to be a lot of competition for him. The Astros are in a good position because, of course, they obtained a couple of draft picks from the Cardinals uh, due to the events of the offseason, and that will enable them not necessarily to trade those guys, but to uh, be able to dip into their farm system elsewhere and still have be able to maintain their depth. And so, yeah, I mean, I think that they're in a good position. They're, you, know, you, you, can, um, you can only do so much at the trade deadline. I mean, these guys are going to have to stay healthy. They're going to have to be consistent. The, the uh, offense will certainly be able to mask a bit of a sh- any shortcomings that come out from the pitching side. Can't carry it the entire season. As we know, a major league season is dependent on pitching first and then everything else. But they seem to be in a good, yeah, in a good spot. I, I can't see them, even if they start slow, I can't see them not being in this uh, race toward the end because the Rangers have probably taken a step back a little bit. The Mariners are expected to be competitive as they always are, but they're not like scary. They're just um, good. And so it should be an interesting division. AJ Reed has been optioned to the Astros minor leagues, and maybe it's something that we, we should have expected, but this means it looks like a heavy dose of Yuri Gurriel and Marwin Gonzalez at first base. What do you see that move meaning for the Astros and how they make up this roster? Yeah, I mean, I think that was kind of expected. I think that's what they were talking about early on. It's just the way the season opens. You know, you're going to need closer to 35 to 40 guys to get through a season. So it's just, um, you know, we make a big deal out of the opening day 25-man roster. It changes a lot. Um, A.J. Reed had a good spring, and he, you know, they had a lot of expectations a year ago. And for somebody like him, it's it's unfortunate that, you know, if you struggle a little bit, you sort of can fall off the radar of the people that you're trying to impress. But hey, that's, I mean, when you're in an organization that's a good, deep organization expected to win, and this is what happens. So there's a lot of players who um, could probably be on major league rosters for a lot of teams, can't make your roster. Um, that's the way the Astros were for many, many years before they were really bad for many, many years. And then all these random guys would be making the team out of spring training that shouldn't have. Uh, so AJ Reed is a young player. He's going to have to work his way on. He's probably going to have to wait around for an injury to get to the big leagues. But yeah, I mean, you know, Marwin and Gurriel, it's not like they're, you know, fighting to make a roster. They're, they were going to make this team. One place where there seems to be some real competition for the Astros is in the bullpen. I mean, who's going to get those final spots? And of course, Ken Giles struggled at the beginning of last season, came on towards the end. So it'll be interesting to see kind of how he fares early on in the season. Is that kind of a place that you're going to be watching too, the, the bullpen and just how things are there too with the Astros? Um, yeah, I mean, I think you always watch the bullpen, right? I mean, no matter, uh, no matter how good the team is because the bullpen can make a break a can make a break a season and certainly um, I don't think there's as much controversy about Giles coming not controversy but question marks I guess surrounding him coming into this season but yeah I I think that the bullpen is good I don't um, see it as something that's going to be detrimental to the team and they're just all going to have to do what they what they're capable of doing and Gregerson I think he's still He's still away from the team, right? Playing for Team USA. So again, you know, I just look at, I kind of glance over box scores after the Astros games. I'm like, who are these guys? 
Uh, so I think that once we see the actual, you know, the actual relievers who are expected to be on the major league team, it's going to be a pretty good, pretty good bullpen. Yeah. It's that part of time of the spring, right? Where you just, come on, can the regular season just start please? At least like you said, there's a world baseball classic, but I actually wanted to ask you about, uh, the Cincinnati Reds here even could tie it into the Astros, but I, over the off season, I know you're from Cincinnati that Marty Brenneman made that comment about Joey Votto and you know, his contract and, and what's that really doing to the Reds franchise. And I just want to kind of your opinion just on, on these large mega contracts, because the Astros are even going to have that coming up in the next few years, but you know, they're going to have to resign Jose Altuve, Dallas Keuchel, George Springer, Carlos Correa, even the Astros being a larger market than Cincinnati. It's still something to grapple with. How much do you allocate to one player or two players, three players on the roster there, especially as you start getting good and competitive. And, and maybe this is the reason why the Astros want to go out and win everything right now before they have to start doing these big paydays. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that for the Reds, um, you know, I, I mean, when he signed the contract, I thought it was ridiculous and it didn't have anything to do with Vado's talent because at the time he was like one of the premier players in baseball. Uh, but you can't, you can't allot 25% of your uh, payroll to one guy when you're in the Cincinnati uh, market. So uh, they, it was not only him, it was, uh, you know, Brandon Phillips, Homer Bailey. I mean, it was all kind of coming up at the same time. And um, so I don't, I don't know why they, they did that. I mean, their, their philosophy is kind of like you have to do some things that are uh, just don't seem to make, make any sense in order to run a major league team. And, you know, I get that part, but, uh, you know, Marty's comments were nothing that, I mean, for people that don't know Marty and don't listen to him on a regular basis, it came as a little jarring because he was really tough on that caller, maybe a little bit too uh, gruff, but that, that's how Marty, I mean, that's what he talks about. Like he doesn't hold anything back and he says how he feels and he's right. I mean, they could be terrible with or without Joey Votto, um, but they certainly, they're stuck with them and it's going to, they're not really going to, it's going to be hard to be competitive for them to be competitive through the life of this contract which I think will take Votto until he's like 40 years old, which is just, uh, it's just bad business to have signed him to that deal. Um, and, and they can't get rid of him because he's got no trade clause and he doesn't want to go anywhere. So that's a, that's a huge problem. The Astros will not, I mean, just name those players. I mean, those, they're not going to have four guys signed to mega contracts at the same time. So it's never worked that way. And it's, you know, over the course of time, these things work themselves out. And um, you hope that you, they do see a window right now where these guys are affordable. And they're not, you're not making a lot of money. They're not into their free agent years yet. And, um, and they're going to have to be smart, but they're also going to have a bigger payroll than in Cincinnati. So they are, this is a big city, a huge city. Um, they might try to sell it as being a small market. It's not. And um, they can certainly support a, a a significant payroll, which they have moved to. Look, I give Jim Crane credit. Like he said, you know, by this time we want a hundred million dollar payroll and that's where they are. And, uh, Hey, we're going to, this off season, we're going to add $20 million. And that's what they did. I mean, he's, they are doing what he says they're going to do, which I respect. And they should be able to carry a decent payroll, draw some decent crowds to pay for it and keep the marquee players that they want to keep while still kind of, you know, making sure that things stay a little bit settled. Guys, is it is it bad that the Reds' opening day starter is uh, Scott Feldman? Is that is that a bad thing? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it is. That's what happens. It's not it's not a bad thing. It's a rebuilding thing, right? I mean, this is like Scott Feldman's like third opening day starter. It's always been for teams that are in that transitional time, um, and uh, and that's what he was in 2013 with the Astros, and that's what he is now. He's a great guy, but no, absolutely not. He should not be 
the opening day starter. Um, it's very, it, it, it's very um, indicative of where the Reds are right now. So they have a, they have a lot of work to do and um, I wish them luck because I, you know, I care about that organization, but they have an uphill battle to climb. I want to wrap around back to what we talked about earlier. You, you got a chance to call a, a WBC game. Was that the first time you'd been in a booth for a, for a baseball game? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I was like the reporter on scene. It was uh, myself and Jerry Trupiano and uh, Marlon Anderson was our analyst. So I was uh, kind of like the reporter with the, uh, the random tidbits that I'd gather during batting practice and bring up to the booth. <laughs> yeah. Former Astros broadcaster, Jerry Trupiano is good to have a couple of Houston right. people in the booth, right? <laughs> Yeah, it was fun. And uh, actually, Marlon Anderson lived in Sugarland for eight years. So he's a Houston person, too. <laughs> hey, also, I, I, I want to go back to the World Series for, for, for a second. And I, I definitely wanted to ask you about this. Uh, you know, we could talk about how great the World Series and every, everything like that was. But, you know, it, it had to be really cool for you, I know, because you got to hang out a little bit maybe with Bill Murray and John Cusack, people like that. Some some of your favorites from back in the 80s. Yeah. Well, hanging out with Bill Murray, I don't know if I call it hanging out with Bill Murray. I uh, wrote a lot of stories about him and did not interview him. So I was just kind of trailing him. Uh, he was a very lovely person, very nice, um, but wasn't doing a lot of interviews. But I don't need um, direct interviews as long as they're speaking in a public manner somewhere where I can quote them. John Cusack was great. Uh, he was a lot of fun. He actually had us down in his little uh, suite at the uh, at Wrigley Field to do a story. Uh, so that was that was super fun. But celebrities, I mean, that's like kind of my beat during the World Series. I've done that for years and years and years. And it's not like they're dying to do interviews. So um, you, <laughs> it's, it's not like I walk out of there going, oh, my God, I had these amazing interviews with these guys. I mean, some of them are really cool. And some of them are like, eh, I just kind of want to watch baseball games. But actually, Eddie Vedder, I mean, when you if you talk about like, you know, that like really funny moment that you'll be telling people about in 20 years, it's that when you know Cubs win the World Series in Cleveland, they're on the field celebrating. It's like one o'clock in the morning and I asked Eddie Vedder for a, a quote and he was like, I just can't even speak right now. I'm speechless. And he hugged me and apologized for not giving me an interview. And I was like, well, Eddie Vedder just, Eddie Vedder just hugged me on, on the field after the Cubs won the World Series. So I think, and I said, well, you gave me a quote. You said I'm speechless and that's what I'm going to use. So um, all I need to do, all I need them to do is like give me like three words and I can make a story out of it. <laughs> Maybe the next Pearl Jam song will have some reference to that. The Chicago Cubs. Yeah, I mean, it's funny because, like, he's so nice. I mean, he's, like, the nice – he's so incredibly gracious and friendly and, you know, made sure that wherever he was, he was always smiling at people and shaking their hands. And I'm not a Pearl Jam fan, so I was able to, you know, kind of just – approach it in a rational way but yeah he was a super nice guy i i walked away with a very very good impression of him a toughest question of the whole of the whole uh, podcast your favorite john cusack movie are you going to go with the, what are you going with here is it the sure thing or are you going to go with say anything uh 16 candles well say anything i mean you can't really i mean 16 candles he was sort of in but he wasn't like, you know, I mean, he just played like the nerdy friend of Anthony Michael Hall. So, um, which it's really funny to watch those movies now and to see how young these guys were. But Say Anything is like, like I mean, anybody who's my age, like, well, that's the John Cusack movie. Uh, Eight Men Out, of course, later on, I grew to appreciate very much that movie and his role in it. And the fact that it's a baseball movie, which I think is really cool. But um, Say Anything with the um, boombox. Uh, you know, over the head is, is something that <laughs> stays with you for life. The whole time I was interviewing him, I'm like, this, I'm, it's Lloyd Dobler. Like, I'm talking to Lloyd Dobler. I was very, the 18 year old version of me was very excited about that. <laughs> <laughs> and I still, uh, yeah, where's my two, 
where's my two dollars? I'm better off dead. That's what I was thinking. But that the Lloyd Dobler scene is always always really good from say anything like you're saying with a boombox over the head. Uh, no, I mean the whole thing. There's so many lines from that movie that are just hilarious. I mean, if you watch it, it's just like it's a it's actually a really good movie. I mean, it's kind of cheesy, but it's it's a real it's actually it's. I thought of all the teen movies, I thought that was, you know, one that was a little bit, you could say it was a little bit deeper than some of the other ones. Yeah. It's Cameron Crowe too. So it was, he was on a roll back then. So I, I just right. had one quick question before we let you go here. Are, are the Cubs going to repeat? Is the, are the Astros going to live up to the SI expectations? Maybe we shouldn't even say that. What, what do you kind of are seeing in your Allison footer crystal ball here. I mean, it's hard to say like who's going to repeat because it's really hard to win a world series. Um, the only thing that I'm positive of is that we're going to get really tired of making those references to the sports illustrated article. I think that the Astros are probably already regretting having done that. And if not, they will, um, uh, because you can only set yourself up for failure. Uh, when you do something like that, when you make a prediction like that, the Cubs were the best team in baseball, hands down, sailed through the regular season, you know, they came like a couple of inches here and there from losing the World Series. I mean, that's all the difference that it was. It is hard to win a World Series. It is, it doesn't matter. There are a lot of teams capable of winning the World Series. There's only one team that does it. And if you look at the Braves having like 16 years in a row where they were just dominant and they have one World Series title. And so the Astros, for, for whatever reason, I still don't understand what they were thinking when they did that, when they had the guy from Sports Illustrated inside the draft room, when they just started congratulating themselves years before they'd done anything about how well they're doing their jobs. Don't do that. And it's real. You're just asking for ridicule. And so now anything short of winning the World Series, it's all you're going to hear about is that stupid Sports Illustrated cover. I don't get it. I don't understand why anybody would do that. So there we are. And of course, they'll have if anything, if they fall short of that, it'll be Houston. We have a problem. We'll have to see that headline, too. So oh, it's I mean, it's totally coming. And if they have an eight game losing streak, which is definitely coming, every team goes through something like that. Five games, seven games in the middle of the summer. I mean, you're just going to hear about it all the time. And if you want to show people how well uh, you can run an organization, just go win the World Series. Just do it. I mean, you don't hear Theo Epstein running around and patting himself on the back. The fact that he's, you know, cemented himself as a future Hall of Famer and he's not, he's like 42 years old, but you don't hear him talking about that. So just, they just go and do it. Just go do it. Well, that's Allison Furrow. She'll say anything. And I, I should start quoting some Peter Gabriel <laughs> lyrics for you. In your eyes, the light, the heat. In your eyes, I am complete. But uh, thanks so much, Allison, for coming on with us. <laughs> okay. Anytime, guys. Thank you. For more interviews, subscribe to Houston Sports Talk on iTunes. Or if you're an Android user, download our free Houston Sports Talk app in the Google Play Store. We're also available on Stitcher or the TuneIn app, and our website is HoustonSportsTalk.net.